Last week, I began a mini-series. It's not going to be a big 10-week thing. Just for a couple of weeks, I want to talk about Psalm 23. Part of my motivation was familiarity. We've got a lot of chaos going on in our world. The COVID has created more anxiety than anyone wants to admit. And yet, COVID is probably not creating it as it is revealing things that have not been dealt with. And I think that's an important fact to remember. But also, in the middle of that chaos, there's been new information. We're always watching the news. What's the new information? And we're, it's like our antenna is up extra high. And I remember when this pandemic uh, for our region, when we were allowed to not be, you know, when we're allowed out and not have to stay at home fully when they had that mandate, there was a new tension because now you go outside and, oh no, is somebody too close to me? Oh no, they're not wearing a mask. Oh no, they're not wearing it right. And all these things that our antenna is aware of. It's like we're in overdrive of over sensory overload. That's what it is. And I thought, maybe, maybe let's pause and go back to something familiar. Let's not even talk about a new teaching, new theology, or new to you theology, new to me theology. Let's, let's talk about some comfort that we already know about and just maybe dive in a little deeper. And that's why I wanted to do this Psalm 23 revisit. Carol loved it too. She asked me to, to teach on it, and there was two series that I think Maggie asked me about a Nehemiah one with this, the the messages on the walls and the, and the, the gates. of um, That was really cool. And then Carol loved the Psalm 23, so this just fit. So that's why I'm doing this. But before we get right into Psalm 23 and follow up from last week, I want to lead off today with a, a devotional from Henry Now and Again because I think this particular one is going to be powerful. If I can get the PowerPoint working again, that'd be awesome. It's called Let Go by Henry Nouwen. The world is only evil when you become its slave. That line, ponder for a moment. Okay, this, that fits our COVID fears today. The world is only evil when you become its slave. The world has a lot to offer. Just as Egypt did for the children of Jacob, as long as you don't feel bound to obey it. The great struggle facing you is not to leave the world, to reject your ambitions and aspirations, or to despise money, prestige, or success, but to claim your spiritual truth and to live in a world as someone who doesn't belong to it. All the good things our world has to offer are yours to enjoy, but you can enjoy them truly only when you can acknowledge them as affirmations of the truth that you are beloved of God, knowing your identity. The truth will set you free to receive the beauty of nature and culture in gratitude as a sign of your belovedness. That truth will allow you to receive the gifts you receive from your society and celebrate life. But that truth will also allow you to let go of what distracts you, confuses you, and puts you in jeopardy, the life of the spirit within you. I thought that was profound in that we can become stressed and think everything's terrible, but why would we say everything's terrible or things are distressing? Because we are looking at and focusing on distressing things. Where we put our attention to focus is what fills our minds. That's a fact of life. How you believe God sees you, views you, 
You'll live in response to that belief. If you think he's ticked off with you, you'll live in that. You'll be all fearful and whatever. If you don't believe he exists, you'll act like it. Everyone lives their lives based on what they believe about God. And I think our entire lives, the rest of our lives, we are continually learning and unlearning our concept of who God is and who we are, who we aren't, who God isn't. All that. I think that's, that's just going to be the rest of our lives. Discovering a better God, a better Trinity, a better Jesus. I love that journey. Because if we only believe what we grew up with, whatever we learned in Sunday school or bedtime stories as a kid or whatever it is, and that's all we know, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But to grow, you'll grow more. You, you're not believing the same thing as you did 20 years ago, unless you're 10 or 15, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like We continually adjust, and the Holy Spirit continually reveals his goodness to us. So Psalm 23, a comfort. I want to read it in full in the New Living Translation, then we'll continue talking about the key verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. (laughs) You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's a lot of comfort and a lot of hope. Last week we talked about the Lord being our shepherd, the emphasis of our eyes being on the existing one, on Jehovah. This is how it begins. David is writing this psalm, song, or poem from the perspective of being the sheep and his heavenly father being the great shepherd because he's done the work. I don't think David wrote this in his first year of shepherding. (laughs) I think he'd been doing it long enough that he began to see the intense work required for taking care of sheep. It's like parenting. It's exactly like parenting. A lot of needs need to be met at the very beginning, especially. (laughs) I thought it would end, but it doesn't. But anyway, the the whole idea of the needs being met, and David now sees how his heavenly father took care of needs that he didn't even know he needed. Parents do that for their kids. They know in advance they're going to need clothes, they're going to need food, they're going to need this for school, blah, 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 blah. And parents do that out of love. And that's what God does to us. So if, our parent, if parents have that kind of innate concern and care for children, how much more does your Heavenly Father care for you and your needs? 
We shall not want. He takes care of everything. And we talked about the, makes us lie down in green pastures, the importance of eating and uh, resting, um, and the whole idea of bringing us to a place of still water, because sheep are really afraid of rushing water. And the good shepherd carves out a path so they can drink without being afraid. But today, I want to talk about he restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The soul part, I think, is really critical. We overlook that. Because what is soul? Well, I used to know the answer. (laughs) In Bible college. (laughs) I knew all the answers back then. (laughs) What is soul? Well, I even thought I knew what it was when it came to understanding my identity. I was, uh, I believe the scriptures point to body, soul, spirit as our triune being, and there's, there's room for that. There's also room for soul, spirit being the same. I'm not going to get dogmatic about it, but I do know soul has, the, in that is the, the will of choosing, emotions, sorting, personality is all part of that, and sometimes our soul is not at peace. Your body may look like it's at peace because you're putting on a good show for everyone else, but inside, worry, turmoil, concern, it does make its way out. Those stresses do make their way out of your body one way or another, manifesting in different forms. But he restores our soul. Your soul was created to be restful, to enjoy the delight of life, And sometimes we can get too focused on providing for life. (laughs) Yeah, I'm preaching to the choir here. Sometimes I I know I get too busy. I've had enough patterns in my life to know that. But our soul needs rest. Our minds need calm. I was talking to Drew earlier this morning. He had uh, taken me fishing a couple times and I couldn't have cared less if I caught something. Being out on the water, being by water, just casting the thing. You couldn't forget it, even if there's no lure. I don't care. It's just like the peace. The, I felt the soul finding some rest that I didn't know I needed. I was at a football game two weeks ago. I didn't know I needed that soulical rest, a switch gears, no work. Cheer, yell, scream, sit, be quiet, whatever. I'm just telling you that because I haven't got this figured out. I have pendulum swings. <laughs> Usually Lori talks to me and says, oh, you're all too busy again. Oh, no. Okay. First I say, no, I'm not. And then, of course, then I realize she's right. That's how marriage works. But the soul, it's a cause for life or soul to return. He, he causes us to return to our origin. What is our origin? Resting in Christ. That is who you are as a spirit. You are a spiritual being having and living a human experience. I think it's powerful. He causes my life or soul to return. So often life drains out of us through our many activities. But as David found, God restores our well-being when we pursue what pleases God and when we rest in him. I don't see the sheep trying to please the shepherd. 
That should be a huge wake-up call in the church world. It's so busy in churchianity that church staff, church members are so busy doing business, the business of the corporation of the church, they're not experiencing life because they think they're doing it for God. And really, they're just doing it for the institution. It, it's just true, even though the intent may be good. My heart, I, I wanted to please God. But looking back, I see how I kind of blended the two together, serving the institution and trying to please God. But once I discovered I was already pleasing to God, when I discovered my belovedness, hence the Henry Nouwen start, when you know your belovedness, it changes how you see people, ministry, everything. I don't want to go back to the old system. I want to keep growing in seeing others like Christ sees them. So my soul isn't so busy doing the stuff for God. Stop trying to do stuff for God. If he inspires you, great. Then the two of you can do something. Whatever he inspires you to do, that's fantastic. But it's so easy to get sucked into the system of religion. I'm still unlearning that. It's been 20 years of unlearning so far. 30 years of pastoring. (laughs) He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Path literally means tracks of righteousness or circular paths of righteousness. It's a common trait for sheep on the hillside of Israel to circle their way up higher. They eventually form a path that keeps leading them higher. This is what David could be referring to. Each step we take following our shepherd will lead us higher, even though it may seem like we're going in circles. Sometimes it's easier, instead of trying to go straight up a hill, there's a zigzag. Look at the roads uh, that are built in certain countries, they're, they're not straight up. <laughs> they're like this. They're on zigzags because you can't go straight up. He leads us for his name's sake. The good shepherd always leads his sheep in the right way. He always leads us in the path, best, the best path, his path. He is the path. No one likes where the path of life leads them all the time. But if you are following the good shepherd, you can be assured that he will always lead them in the right path. And I don't think the sheep have to, with intense personal effort, I have to follow the shepherd. Where is he? I got, oh, the sheep don't do that. Where's the food? All right. Because the shepherd's in charge of all the guiding. Are you starting to see where the Self-effort is a waste sometimes. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. It's, it's, it's supposed to be rest, not distress. The word path comes from the root word that means to revolve around. The, word, the Lord's leadership always leads us in a path that causes us to revolve around him. And when that happens, as I said before, what you put your attention on, whatever you focus on, that will consume your mind. 
That's how it works. In absolutely every aspect of life. At least that's my perspective. Leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I have the clicker, pretty please? Thanks. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is a big one. (laughs) The valley of deep darkness, death, shadow, distress, place of the dead. Through the valley, he's not talking about a dead end. This is usually read at funerals. Because there's this concept that this person has come to the end of their life. And their earth suit has. Their spirit has not. They're still alive and well. In fact, they're really having a great time. But the valley, through the valley, we have valleys of life. And we're not alone in them. It may feel really, really alone. I will not be afraid. This is a big deal. The valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes, like Peter, he's walking on the water and he sees the storm. I think last time we talked about the storm. Elizabeth, you texted me that. That's right. I never replied. Oops. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're not to look at the storm of life. Even though it's there, we're not avoiding, we're not playing the silly la la la, it's not real. That's, that is really foolish, I think. But to not live focused on just that continually It's about the habit, I think. Sheep sometimes pass through frightening places, but they follow the shepherd, knowing that he has everything under his control. The path leads through difficult and dangerous places. If we know that he is with us in all the paths of life, then we can pass through the shadows in peace and security. If we know he's with us, what is that again? That's your focus and attention. It's remembering intentionally, he's with me, he's with me. Even when you can't feel him anymore, because all the chaos going on around you, you can say out loud, I know my Savior is with me, in me, through me. I am not alone. And what are you doing by doing that? You are changing the focus of your thinking instead of focusing on the trouble. You are focusing on the greatest truth. Christ lives in you. The greatest secret, as I've said in the past, the greatest secret in the Western world, the Western church world, is that Christ lives in you. Why is it a secret? Because nobody knows what the heck it is. I was never told about union before. It took me many, many years. It was only 20 years ago that I discovered I was one with Christ. I had been pastoring for 10 years already. I grew up in church, a really good church kid with lots of memorizing and Sunday school prizes for, you know, being a teacher's pet, all that stuff. Oh, my goodness. And I did not know my union. But when we discover union, just like it says in in Colossians 1.27, here's the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where you focus your attention. When all else is going crazy around you, come to this fact, Christ in you. I remember a friend of mine going through horrific distress in their marriage, eventually broke up, 
questioned everything, questioned faith, but in tears said, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Wait a minute. Just Jesus, that's it. Just Jesus. And he had to start over and revisit a whole bunch of his teaching, theology, or concept of who God was, who Jesus is. But just Jesus, that's what he came to. He taught me a lot. Because I didn't realize how ingrained in churchianity I've been. Our Christianese language that the world has no clue. If you hang out with some people that don't go to church, suddenly you realize they don't speak church. (laughs) The church does, and sometimes it sounds weird. And then when we try to use churchy language out in public, thinking we're witnessing, you're crazy for thinking that. They just see you as, oh my goodness, you're one of them. I think Jesus fully got it. He hung out with everybody who didn't go to church. He spoke their language. He didn't try to be somebody he wasn't. To me, this is a big deal. The staff, the rod and staff. The staff was a long pole with a crook near the end. With this implement, the shepherd would correct the sheep, draw them close, when they began to wander and lift them out of the crevices into which they might fall. The rod was much shorter than the staff and was used by the shepherd to protect the sheep from anything that might try to attack the flock. It was never used for smacking or hitting. Oh my goodness. I grew up in a German family. Sperr der Rad spoils a child. Boy, I never got spared the rod. I got marks to prove it. Literally. To, to use that and apply it to the sheep, sheep were never afraid of the shepherd. It was never used for smacking the sheep. That's a tough one for a family that's raised in corporal punishment. Oh my goodness. And most, of, most of us back then, that was normal. You got slapped, spanked, whatever. I think European families, it's, to me, the pattern has, that I've seen overall has always been harsher for some reason. I want to read to you something from Kenneth Tanner. It's a little long, but so what? I think it's really, really good. Kenneth Tanner is a, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And this is what he wrote on The Lord is My Shepherd. Middle Eastern shepherds in the time of the Bible did not break the legs of sheep and carry them on their shoulders to keep them from running away again or hold them close to their heart or whatever myth you've heard growing up. How many of you have heard that story? Unfortunately, I preached it. How many have heard of the idea, well, you know, a shepherd used to break the leg of the sheep because they wandered off too much and they'd have to hang around like, and that was applied to God. Nobody heard that? Oh, you're so lucky. I grew up with that. The good shepherd breaks your freaking leg. Yeah, what a good shepherd. (laughs) Thank you, Kenneth, for calling it out for what it is. It's a myth, not true. It's terribly impractical, for one thing. Sheep can weigh just 75 pounds. It's a tremendous hindrance to properly caring for the whole flock. It also can permanently disable the sheep. Oops. 
Imagine having a number of immobilized or broken sheep in a flock. What a mess that would be. <laughs> yeah, Jesus breaks your leg to teach you a lesson to, that he loves you. What? Yeah. This is the ridiculousness of seeing God the incorrect way. And this is what religion does when they don't understand the unconditional love of God. That's why I love the layers being pulled back more and more as my understanding of who God is grows wider and deeper and more mystical as in mystery. Less dogmatism, more, huh, I never saw that before. The rod of the shepherd was used to defend the flock from predators, not beat the sheep. And the hooked staff was used to rescue them. The sheep trusted these tools and the shepherd who carried them. I hope that speaks to somebody hearing this right now. They were not afraid of the shepherd and heeded his voice because he led them to green pastures beside still waters and never mistreated them. There's a story from about a thousand years ago. A sheep wandered away from Moses his and his flock. Moses searches and finds the sheep drinking from a stream and says, oh, so sorry, I did not know you were thirsty. God responds to Moses' mercy and entrusts him with the people of Israel. One of the rabbis commenting on this story writes, Moses realized that the kid did not run away from the flock out of malice or wickedness. It was merely thirsty. Only a shepherd who hastens not to judge the runaway kid, who is sensitive to the cause of its desertation, can mercifully lift it onto his arms and bring it back home. How often we misunderstand folks when they leave the fold. It would help, I think, if we were sensitive to the causes rather than being critical. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is a big deal. Again, back to the religious world I grew up in. Oh, they have fallen or backslidden because they've left the church. How many times have we said that or believed that? Because we've made the church attendance the big marker for our spirituality when really there's much more going on. This means not only that he puts the sheep before his own life and is willing to die so they might live, but the beautiful shepherd would lie down for the night in front of the gate of the sheep pen so that a predator that wanted to get them had to go through the body of the shepherd. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the perfect picture of who Jesus is. He's not there to browbeat you, guilt you, and shame you. He's there to protect and guide you and love you until you fully believe your belovedness. The beautiful shepherd puts us before himself, before his own life. He values the life of his sheep over his own life. Boy, that's a lesson for us today. We want our way, our life, my rights, blah, 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 blah. I'm so sick of the me, 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 me-ism in our culture right now. I want to be more like Jesus. Definitely don't have it perfected. This means every human is loved by God more than God loves his own life. This is beautiful. You are loved with the same love. God loves you 
God the Father loves you with the same love that he has for his son, with the same love he has for the Holy Spirit. The same love. Maybe that's all some of you need to hear today is that God truly loves you. Oops, where are we? Sorry, I'm going to need to go back. Uh oh, where am I? One second. Boom, boom. One more. Okay. We do not say this enough or plainly, and this is one of the many reasons the churches are emptying. God lays down his life for us even though he knows us better than we know ourselves. Yet, knowing all of our hidden thoughts and everything we do, no one sees, he still values our life over his. Are you starting to get the intensity here? This is beautiful. (laughs) I'll just say that once more. God puts us ahead of him. John tells us that this is how we know love. That God lays down his life for us. Not by watching the latest sitcom or listening to the hit love song, but by looking upon our wounded, dying God. John tells us that we likewise should lay down our lives, not by dying as God dies for us, but by giving of ourselves and of our property to our brother or sister in need. Hmm. Jesus never says, I will obey my father so you never need to, or I will obey my father because you cannot. We need to lay down ourselves in the way John commands, and we can. God never asks us to do anything that he does not enable in us by his spirit. Every invitation to participate in the goodness of our great shepherd carries the blessing to do so. You are loved. You are deeply loved. You cannot, of course, save yourself or your neighbor or the world, not in any ultimate sense. This is a gift that God alone can bestow, and he saves us in this ultimate way without conditions. But you can save your brother in the moment or through a season of their life, and you can save the creation in your lifetime by participating in God's care for all things and all persons, by loving your brother and the world as God commands and as God enables. We are to be the ambassadors of God's grace and love, to take care of our earth and one another. I think this is the greatest love story of all time. And we're so distracted by all the chaos, triggers, problems, that we sometimes need to just stop and, okay, just Jesus. Just, it's all I can handle right now. This is a powerful psalm. And I pray that those words, as we unpack them, mean more and more to you as we continue through. We're gonna probably finish up next week, we'll see. but I've done two verses each time. So I think, I think we'll stop there. Thank you for watching. Those that are watching online, thank you for those that are here. Let's just pray together and ask God to make this revelation true to us. Heavenly Father,
I pray that your Holy Spirit reveals what it is we're supposed to take away from today. Thank you for speaking to me personally. I pray that you encourage each person, first of all, that they are beloved unconditionally by you. And when we forget that, when we get things that happen that cause us to see the things around us, and we take our eyes off you, please gently take the bottom of our chin and gently lift, lift, us, lift our face up to see you. If we're filled with shame and our heads bowed low because we can't stand to look at you because we don't even like ourselves, would you lift up our chin gently to see your love and grace, to see your tears fall from your eyes, that you just desire us to believe that and you weep with hope so that we will believe our belovedness and then live in that response. <laughs> One person at a time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <sighs> Thank you again. Those that are watching online, we're not doing a Zoom chat afterwards today. I'll try to get that working for next Sunday. Um, those that came in person, yay, it's so cool. Um, it is better in person. It just is. So thank you for that. That's it. We're wrapping it up now. And uh, thank you very much. We'll see you next time.